Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. And by Jamie Lang, Ellen Gross, Mandy Booty, Chantel Oliver, Mari B. Hedgecoth, Monique Harris-Pixado, Casey Zronick, Amanda Gilmore, Lisa Voss, and Jill Harrigan. Thank you for being our sponsors. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Let me paint you a scene. Mm. 1936, Nazi Germany. Mm. Heinrich Himmler, mm. who would become commander of the SS and the architect of the Holocaust. Right. He is standing in awe and reverence at a tomb. He's commemorating the 1,000-year anniversary of Germany. Oh. And he's honoring the graves of Henry and Matilda of Saxony, hmm. whom he has publicly declared the first king and queen of Germany. <laughs> uh, okay. In the hour before midnight... Himmler insists that he be left completely alone with the graves to uh, actually to do no one knows. Oh. Nobody knows. Oh. But Himmler, it turns out he he actually believed he was King Henry reincarnated. Of course he did. And every year he would return to these tombs in the medieval town of Kredlinburg to honor and commune with Ew. the father and mother of Germany. Ew. The problem is, they weren't German. <laughs> Germany didn't exist a thousand years ago. And Matilda in particular embodied the polar opposite of Himmler's German values. <laughs> I bet she was turning in her grave with Himmler standing creepily over them, oh. trying to channel their power. No. <laughs> Queen Matilda lived in a very violent time, in a very violent place, and she's been remembered by the people for a thousand years as a peacemaker, mm. as someone who cared and gave and gave and gave, and somebody who talked the violent folks down, steering them toward peace and understanding, forgiveness. Some called her Matilda of Ringelheim. Others called her Saint Matilda mm. or Queen Matilda. And the scholar I spoke to about her, Professor Thomas Wozniak, was born a stone's throw from her grave. Cool. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. Um, so, my name is Thomas Wozniak, and um, I was born in Quedlinburg, the same city in which Matilde was buried. So, my name is Thomas Wozniak, 
I actually was born just next to her grave, so like over 200 meters from it. Quedlinburg is actually uh, UNESCO World Heritage today. Uh, my parents had a house, uh, one of these half-timbered houses, uh, made out half of wood and half of stone. So you have these half-timbered patterns. I heard already when I was a child about uh, Queen Matilda and so, oh. yeah. And uh, I heard always stories that she was so pious and that she always feed the poor. Um, yeah, I was actually baptized Catholic and uh, so um, uh, the city was in the former GDR. And being a Catholic in East Germany at mm. the time was no small thing. Mm. Yeah, less than 5% of the whole city were Catholic. Mm. And so you were always a special case, it doesn't matter where. And uh, even the, the state or the government um, looked at you as something yeah, suspicious somehow. Right. Yeah. Every year, for a thousand years, the people of Kredlinburg honored Matilda on her feast day, March 14th. Because her tomb is still in the church on the castle mountain here, uh, where every year on the 15th of March, this is the day when she died, um, we had the Catholic Mass on this place, mm. or tried to do this. Uh, but the church today is Protestant, and so there were always a little fight about this. But, as with most people remembered for their sweetness and goodness, <laughs> when you dig a bit deeper, you find a very interesting story. We are in the 10th century. The 10th century, in, if you compare it with the rest of the Middle Ages, it's the century which you have the least sources in the whole Middle Ages in this century. So we have only a few uh, sources, and the sources are mainly two biographies about her. We'll get into these biographies a little bit later. One was written year by year, and another was written about 30 years after her death. We know that she was born in 896, um, but we don't know the exact date. We have no idea about the exact place. Some researchers believed that it was in um, Ringelheim, which is until now the name for her in the English Wikipedia, but others believe that uh, it was in a small place in uh, Westphalia, so actually we don't know. Um, her father was kind of a duke, uh, uh, Dietrich, and her mother was a daughter of an, a Danish king, actually. So um, she's an, yeah, she, she was born in a higher family, we could say. And uh, when she was a child, she came to a monastery, of, uh, which was a Chimor foundation, um, which was led by her grandmother. And this grandmother had the same name, even she was called Matilda. So she's raised at a foundation, and it's a fascinating kind of institution back then. I liken it to a ladies' college. Hmm. And this soundtrack that we're hearing right now, this plain song chant, that would have been the soundtrack of her life. Hmm.
So wealthy women go there at a significant expense to learn how to be high-class ladies. Hmm. This is because all the women in this convent, um, they were planned to be married to a king, to a duke, to a higher nobility. So they always try to give them the best education possible. And this really challenges the idea that the Dark Ages, you know, are this miserable time when nothing is going on and, yeah. you know, nobody knows how to read and things like that. Wait, especially, yeah. Wait there was education in the Dark yeah. Ages? And especially for women. I mean, they had yeah. institutions whose point was give a great education to women. And hmm. you really don't think about that when you think of the Dark Ages. Yeah. And Kredlinburg was one of the major intellectual centers in all of Europe. Now the entire town is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it's spectacular. The castle and the foundation, they're nestled together on this, like, picturesque hill. There's stone on the bottom. It's capped with cool. half-timbered medieval wooden buildings with tile roofs, you know. It oh, is, yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, we'll post pictures. It is medieval fairy tale. Cool. And she's there getting all the education. And, they say, not only is she super smart, she's very beautiful. <laughs> Here's a passage from the oldest account that we have. So this, this description is a thousand years old in itself. So it says, The beauty of Matilda's father and grandfather were revealed in her as well, and with her lovely face, adorable behavior as a child, <laughs> dedication to her labors, modest disposition, humility, and generosity. She earned so much praise for a child of her age with God's benevolent support that none could surpass her. <laughs> so she's perfect. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> written for her very wealthy descendants. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, now we have to introduce Henry I. Henry I is the later king of um, the East Franconian uh, uh, kingdom, which later, much later, becomes Germany. He was a duke in uh, Saxony. Um, he was very uh, successful in fighting against the enemies. The enemies in this time are three. We have the Hungarians, we have the Normans from the north, and we have the Saracens in the south. And he had to fight mainly against the Hungarians. Mm. They came with uh, very high speed on the horses, um, took their bows and they were very quick to um, put arrows on all the people around. Mm. So uh, there was almost no way to handle this for a longer period. And he was the first one um, who managed to fight against them successfully. Mm. So he's successful in every direction actually. Mm -hmm. And now he hears about a young woman, our Matilda, mm. and she is only 14 years old in this year. And he uh, went to the foundation. In the sources they say um, she was so uh, beautiful looking and she was so pious and he wa his heart was open immediately when he saw her the first time. So he spoke with her grandmother and the parents they didn't know that he was there. 
And uh, I don't know what he said to the grandmother, but in the end, she decided that Matilda uh, has to be allowed to marry him. And Henry's like, oops, I already have a wife and child. <laughs> no problem. Dump them. Take Matilda. Right. <laughs> now, this source, this thousand-year-old source that I read from, it's the only saint's life writing that includes a juicy courtship. Mm. And that's not normal. Right. No, yeah. <laughs> you don't put a love story in a saint's life. You know, yeah. this is about goodness and God. Well, but and also read you... female saints' lives are about not having yes. a courtship and a marriage. Like, exactly. how you become a saint is you don't have sex. Right. All the contemporaneous accounts of female saints' lives, it's about women running away from their husbands. But yeah. this is the opposite. Let me read you a part of it. She appeared before them, her snowy cheeks touched with ruddy fire, like white lilies woven with blushing roses were the hues which her face revealed. <laughs> as soon as Henry saw her, he so burned with love for her that he would brook no delay in their betrothal. Early the next morning, unbeknownst to any of her relatives, save for her grandmother, who was the abbess there, and secretly, without the joyful sounds of the cymbal and pipe, she was conveyed in honor to Henry's homeland by a select company of princes. At Walhausen, a wedding feast was prepared. There, at last, they enjoyed a lawful love. Yikes! And Henry gave her, as her dower, the town and everything that belonged to it. <laughs> wow! <laughs> How romantic. <laughs> she's married at 14. And she's got a town for a present. <laughs> and Henry was brave and strong and good. <laughs> and here's a passage from that same account that reassures us that Henry is a wonderful, great person. Um, it says, His upright character made him shine brighter than the others. From his early youth, he lived wisely. He was accommodating to everyone, loved whomever he was with, opposed no one, and placed himself ahead of none. Consoling those who suffered and helping those in need, he earned praise while avoiding envy and honored even more on account of his kindness and humility. <laughs> ah, a Aww. perfect pair. Yeah. <laughs> but what we know, what we can confirm historically by his actions is that this is a man's man. Mm -hmm. He conquers his neighbors, constant battles, epic battles, etc., etc. He's a classic Saxon king. Yeah. <laughs> and by all of those efforts, he became king of East Francia. <laughs> Meanwhile, Matilda has five children. So in 912, she gave birth to Otto, and 10 years later, or maybe eight years later, to another son called Henry. And then she had two more daughters, Gerberga and Hartwig, and the last boy was born, uh, he was already 29 or 30, um, he is Brun. Now in the Saxon tradition and in the Frankish tradition, so this is like the tradition of Charlemagne, Francia is the kingdom of Charlemagne, and we're about a uh, hundred years after Charlemagne. Hmm. In the Frankish tradition, you divide your lands and your kingdom among all your male children. Hmm. So, and now this will change with Otto and Henry in this time. Yeah. For the first time in the East Frankish kingdom, uh, or for the first time in, in continental Europe. He wants it all to go to his oldest son, Otto. 
That sounds like a really good way to make sure your kids try to kill each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fantastic idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this Otto, we know, is going to go on to become Otto the Great, Holy Mm. Roman Emperor. So Ah. this is a big deal. But we have a big problem in between, and this is because of the other children. You, Olivia, you have three sons. I do. Matilda and Henry have three sons. Hmm. Let's say, rather than divide your resources among your three sons, you decide that just one is destined to inherit everything and carry on the Mickle legacy. <laughs> you know. Cool, cool. Good idea. Yeah, sure. They're all going to be totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though everybody loves all their children the same, <laughs> you probably have somebody in mind you would <laughs> leave it all to, right? No. Do your kids listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, only when I force them. So there's no okay. chance they would come across this one on their own. <laughs> if one of them voluntarily listened to this podcast, that's probably who that's we would choose. That's the one I would choose. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I, I'm... I've come to the conclusion that many people don't love all of their children equally, apparently. I do. I can state firmly that I do, but it really doesn't seem like a lot of people do. And Well, I think you you can love them all, but... It's inevitable that certain personalities jive with certain personalities. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I guess you could definitely say this one has the the personality to be the kind of ruler that I think this place needs. Oh, yeah, yeah, you could say that. But, like, it's the reality of families, right? In our siblings episode, Dorothy Osborne, mm. you know, the realities of family relationships are so complicated. Because yeah. I feel like our, our parents must constantly look at me and go... How is that our child, right? (laughs) She didn't turn out anything like she was supposed to be. (laughs) Who put her in here? But maybe every black sheep of the family feels like that. I think they think that about most of us. I mean, Maybe that's how it is with all parents. Yeah, I think the whole idea that you're supposed to get along better with your family just because you happen to be randomly born into them is bizarre. Even the phrase, right? We're raising children. Yeah, we are forming children children we are they're clay and we are molding them and that they will turn out to be a certain way based on how you mold them right that that's so damaging to everybody involved right yeah mostly you have no influence on yeah right yeah Yeah. so that's what steven pinker says that that we have this idea that parents really influence how people turn out but based on all the evidence that he looks at that's not parenting is irrelevant pretty much Except for in the cases of, like, abuse and damage. Parenting doesn't matter. There will be the adult they were going to be no matter what. They know this from, like, twin studies and all kinds of really interesting things like that. Julie Diazavedo-Hanks, the family counselor. Motherhood is a relationship, not a role. Not a role. Exactly. And I think this is amazing because it feels like a new idea. But Matilda emerges as a thousand-year-old figure that embodies this kind of idea and approach. Mm. And in fact, she is, she's a saint, and she is the patron saint of disappointing children. (laughs) And I was like, this is my lady. She advocates for children who are disappointing to their parents. (laughs) 
and she probably saw this was all going to kick off in her family when mm. her husband goes, no, just one son is going to uh. inherit everything. So he chose Otto, his oldest son, as his heir. And the third son, he was already on the church path. He's going to become Archbishop of Cologne. He's, you know, hugely powerful. So he's all right. But the middle son, Henry the Younger, he's not too cool with it. He's mm. not okay. <laughs> yeah. But 10 years later, in 936, um, King Henry, he had a kind of heart attack. Um, and so he had like half a year to organize or to manage how it will go on after he dies. And then he died in 936 on the, uh, July the 2nd. His sons, they were uh, in the same room when he died and uh, they brought his um, body to this uh, place Quittenburg because this was one of the main uh, castles. And now Otto, he was fighting for his right to be king. And he managed to go to Aachen, to Aix-la-Chapelle, um, so to the main city to be coronated as a king. And um, he put in this time his brother Henry in prison in the region around Quedlinburg so that he cannot do anything uh, against all this coronation. And he came back as a king, officially. So for the next 10 years, Henry tries to get in power. And he's fighting like a civil war against his brother. But Saxony is not a stable place to begin with because King Henry, he had spent his whole life conquering and crushing people. You know, there's plenty of enemies ready to pounce. And this is a big problem for the whole East Frankish kingdom because now we have enemies from outside and we have this fight inside. And in the midst of all this mess, Matilda even has to go into exile. She has to run for it. Let's pause for a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. At Girls Can Crate, our mission is to inspire girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every month, they deliver a fearless female role model to your door or to your inbox. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. I love their new digital subscriptions, which come straight to your inbox with a colorful printable activity book, printable worksheets, puzzles, art activities, and more. In addition to the digital subscriptions, they have mini mailers and then the full crates, which come out every month. Check them out. They are really amazing. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E dot com, and enter the code HERNAME, you'll get 20% off your first crate on any subscription. girlscancrate.com and make sure that you use the code HERNAME, all one word, so they know we sent you. 
Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. Now, our two sources for these events are super interesting. We have the two ancient writings hmm. because while they f- both focus on Matilda and her life and works, it's a saint's life, um, they also each have a bias. One is written favoring Otto hmm. and the other is written favoring Henry. <laughs> uh. These biographies are involved in this battle from one brother against the other brother. And this makes it very interesting to us. What are the small differences between these two biographies? And what can we now uh, see about the two sides uh, which were fighting here for for 10 years or maybe longer? So depending on which author you believe, Otto was the great and good guy or Henry was. Henry decided the only way forward was to assassinate his brother in public. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, um, I have questions. <laughs> Too many secret attempts are failing. The battlefield is failing. Uh, so okay. he's just like, yeah. just going to go for it. Pick the time when Otto is most vulnerable at a public event where he'll know exactly where to find him, where he won't be on his guard. And he thought, why not go for the biggest feast of the year? Yikes. He will be very prominently placed. He will be out in full display. Why not, in fact, go for the climax of the Catholic calendar? (laughs) Easter Day, (laughs) Ah! the biggest feast of the year. So actually, every year for the Easter, for the Holy Easter feast, they went to Quedlinburg and then the the feast was there. This seems like a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) He basically planned a red wedding years (laughs) before Game of Thrones, but this is the plan. And it couldn't be more sacrilegious either. Yeah. And then kill them all. Wow. (sighs) It's a way to prove you're a man's man. Exactly. It's a way to win once and for all. Mm. But it didn't work. Mm. Otto, he has his own bodyguards from the West Frankish kingdom to protect him. And he hears about this plan to assassinate him just hours before the event should happen. And uh, now um, these bodyguards did everything to protect him. They managed very well because he didn't die. And they killed eight of the attackers, so eight of the assassins. And his brother, he managed to escape somehow. And some, also some others managed to escape. People died. Lots of people died. It was brutal. But both brothers survived and escaped. Why did they fail? How did Otto find out? How did both brothers manage to escape with their lives? Mm. I'm looking at Matilda. Mm. Imagine being in the middle of such a feud (laughs) as a mother 
Imagine one child literally trying to murder the other. Imagine your children <laughs> on a battlefield <laughs> trying to wipe each other out. Yikes. The Ugh. whole of Saxony is being forced to choose a side, and they are hurtling toward destruction. I imagine people said all kinds of things to her. It's time to choose a side. Yeah. You know, if you're not with us, you're against us. The time for action has come. You know, yeah. we need to resolve this once and for all. Even her name, Matilda, it would even seem to be pushing her in that direction. Her name, Matilda, actually means mightyful or powerful in battle. But there are different ways to be mighty in battle. And she was very, very mighty. But her power came from words, not from the sword. On one hand, she is very pious, or she gives us the idea to be very pious. On the other hand, she is very strong. Mm. A strong mother, a strong uh, wife to an always fighting husband, to always fighting king. Mm. So you have to be strong somehow. Yeah. And uh, because you see a lot of people dying all the time. So you, you need to be strong to manage all your emotions with this. Yeah. And then later to be strong in this family fight, one son against the other. She needs all the time to be powerful somehow. But she did not use like military power. She did not use uh, a sword or something like this. I believe that she always was powerful in discussions. Like to arrange um, things in the background. To speak with this son, to speak with the other son, to speak with the sisters or with the brother, to uh, get involved in all this discussion. So more secret power. She had the rare ability to check her emotions, to keep a cool head, to talk people down, and find a resolution that wasn't killing. She convinced Otto not to exact revenge on his brother, but instead, she said, just give him something, give him a purpose, make him your ally, work together. Mm. So now they are looking for a good solution in this case, and they decide to give um, Henry the Duchy of Lotharingian, which is one of the most important duchies in Europe in this time. This is today the Netherlands and Belgium, but he did not too well. In the end, the Lotharingians, they didn't like him. And after one year, he had to come back. And he was not amused about the situation, and he started to fight again. But Matilda was there at Otto's side again, saying, mm. Give him another chance. We can find a better match. His gratitude to you will be more powerful than fear. Mm. So they tried again. And now they decided to give him the Duchy of Bavaria. Bavaria is one of the biggest duchies in Europe in this time. It's what's today Bavaria and Austria and some parts of Italy, even some parts of Slavonia. So it's really a big, big area. And now he became the duke in Bavaria and this worked. And Henry 
begged his brother's forgiveness. Wow. And he he lay prostrate on the ground in front of his brother. Forgive me everything I've ever done. And Henry now became one of the strongest supporters of his brother. They're reconciled. And this is probably also because Matilda was there talking right. Henry the Younger through it. Yeah. Go and make your peace with your brother. Hmm. And all the while, she's also giving to the poor. She's setting up hospitals and monasteries. She's feeding the hungry. She's caring for the people literally every day. Here's a passage from our oldest source again. Let us now return to Matilda's good deeds, which would require us to produce an immense volume if we tried to recount them all. Yet, while all cannot be included here, we also cannot allow them to remain hidden. While she built many monasteries, she devoutly aided not only those who served God in the cloisters, but also all who were in need. For besides the twice-daily meal for the gathered multitude of the poor, she made sure to provide pilgrims and paupers with baths every Saturday. She would wash each woman's limbs, sometimes doing so herself. She would give each person not only the customary ration of food, but also a gift of clothing as they departed. While there were always people seeking her aid, she always had something to give them. Bathing every week in the Dark Ages. Yeah, and, and washing them herself. Yeah. <laughs> her sons looked on as their saintly mother served and gave and helped and saved. <laughs> and they said, this lady is spending way too much of our money. <laughs> <laughs> Her children took the money from her away for some time mm. so that she cannot give this money to the poor. Oh, that's why she's the patron saint of disappointing children. <laughs> <laughs> but she even found peaceful ways through that conflict so that she could keep giving to the poor. She found her own sources of money. She helped wow. them to understand that this is actually a good thing. That's how you have God's blessings on your kingdom so it doesn't fall apart. And while she was doing all of that, she worked two miracles. And they are the most fascinatingly mundane, quirky huh. miracles I've ever heard. <laughs> and because of that, I love them extra. I just mm. love them. Miracle one. One day in the town of Quedlinburg, while standing on the top of a hill, she saw a crowd of poor people eating in the valley below. She asked her servant if bread had been provided for them along with the other food, to which he responded, not at all. At this, as though angry at her almsgiver, she snatched up a loaf of bread, made the sign of a cross on it with her hand, called upon the Lord's name as she always did, and threw the bread from the peak. Tumbling over the boulders and thickets, it landed unbroken in the lap of one of the paupers below. Those who were there and saw this marveled, declaring that this had come to pass through divine power. <laughs> Wait, I thought it was going to like multiply. Me too. And... Yep. <laughs> wow. It didn't get broken. Yep. <laughs> wow. Okay, so here's miracle two. When she'd made her offering to God in the church, a certain faithful pet deer, which lived within the cloisters, sneaked up and swallowed a small wine bottle of the sort normally found in monasteries. 
The stunned bystanders tried to retrieve the bottle from the beast, beating it, threatening it, and clapping their hands, but all in vain. Finally, God's worthy queen held out her hand to the beast's mouth and said in a soothing voice, Give back what you took. It's ours. As soon as she spoke, the deer vomited up the bottle, which it had swallowed. Who can doubt that on account of her merits, the heavenly overlord gave human understanding to an animal? Wow. <laughs> so those wow. are the two miracles, which eventually will earn her sainthood. Right. Isn't it fantastic? I love it. Me too. It was a disappointing deer too, you know. Yes. She can deal with it. <laughs> and she just talks it down. Yeah. She has the power of words. She just says to them in a calm and loving way, You're better than this. Yes. <laughs> Let's make this right. Do better. <laughs> Wow. And and she spent the last 30 years of her life doing things like that. Even when she was on her deathbed, she gave away every last thing she owned, wow. including the clothes she had set aside to be buried in. Right near the end, wow. somebody needed some clothes she gave those away to. Wow. She was buried at Fedlinburg, next to Henry. And we have still the... Uh, tombstones of their graves until today and this is very unique because we don't have so much tombstones in all over Europe from the 10th century. Her impact was profound not just with her sons and the poor her five children would marry into the great dynasties of Europe. And now with this Matilda is actually the mother-in-law of whole Europe, because all her children, grandchildren, and grandgrandchildren were now the dynasties for the next centuries in Europe. So in that way, she unified everybody. She linked them all together. Hmm. She changed the destiny of all of Europe. And even for the community of Kredlenburg, she is still a unifying figure. In their time, in the period of Reformation, they had to decide to be Catholic or to be Protestant. Catholics and Protestants, you know, ripping Germany apart, everybody hates each other. In the end, this foundation became one of the first Protestant foundations mm. for women. And so for 400 years, it was a Protestant foundation on the graves of King Henry and Queen Matilda. So even the Protestant have a tradition to commemorate in Queen Matilda. And this is why it works today so perfect. Like every year on her death day, so on the 15th of March every year, and people from Herford are coming to Quedlinburg to her grave. And even people from Nordhausen are coming to Quedlinburg to her grave to attend to the Holy Mass there and to pray for her memory. And not only Catholics, even Protestants. There are always a Catholic priest and a Protestant priest um, doing this Mass together. To be the source of peace is something I really admire. And she has been doing it for centuries, even centuries after she's gone from this <laughs> earth. The conflict between her sons, later the religious conflict that ripped across Germany like wildfire. These are conflicts in which she has always served as a peacemaker. She looked only uh, on tomorrow. 
to, to be safe, to be protected, to get peace. So for, for her life, the most important task was to get peace. And her uh, task in this uh, wider context was to give birth to the children, to manage, to, def to defend this peace somehow. But I would say she, she was thinking, okay, maybe for two or four generations and then everything will change. So um, I would uh, say she would be very surprised to see how it worked in the end. If you want to learn more about Queen Matilda, you can find links to books, academic articles, translations of the ancient texts, and much more on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. Special thanks to Thomas Wozniak for bringing us the story of Queen Matilda. Our cover image of Queen Matilda was created for us by artist Kara Quinn, who creates modern icons of overlooked women in Christian history. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at knowyourmothers, all one word. Music for this episode was provided by Maria Jonas, Emily Van Evera, Kevin McLeod, and Silverman Sound Studios. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of additional content each week. We have a huge amount of gratitude for all of our sponsors. You can become one for as little as a buck a month to help make more episodes happen. Just visit our website, whatshernamepodcast.com, and click on Donate. Participating at different levels gets you all kinds of benefits, like subversive cross-stitch patterns, trading cards, and more. You could even get your own shout-out in a future episode. Thanks for donating. Thanks for listening. Now we want to introduce you to an amazing new podcast we think our listeners will really enjoy. It's called Fierce, a storytelling adventure, the women who changed the world. The thing I really love about this show is that it's linking these forgotten women from the past to women in the present who are sort of a modern incarnation of that. A famous female pirate and a modern female sailor carrying on that legacy. Yeah, it's so cool. It's sort of like acknowledging that the women who play these roles today are standing on the shoulders of those women who came before. I'm especially excited because they're featuring one of my favorite women from history, Phyllis Wheatley, the first woman who used poetry to escape slavery. It's an eight-part series that launched on May 6th, and they have new episodes every Wednesday. The host, Joe Piazza, is an award-winning journalist and a best-selling author. If you love What's-Her-Name, and we know you do, <laughs> we think you're also going to love Fierce. Listen to Fierce on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.